This episode of Quick to Listen is brought to you by Glorious Finish, a new book from Daniel Henderson. While burnout and moral failure are prevalent in ministry, Henderson reminds us of the joy of finishing well. Glorious Finish is available at moodypublishers.com. As coronavirus government restrictions have curtailed in-person Sunday services, thousands of pastors and church leaders have continued to reach their congregations through live streams. This, of course, was the topic of conversation on the show two weeks ago in episode 205, what this live stream moment means for the church. But not all churches have the same technological infrastructure. And even for churches who might have access to tripods or smartphones, microphones, Facebook Live, their members might not have bandwidth fast enough for live video, or they themselves might not be comfortable accessing some of these new platforms. We wanted to discuss pastoring and reaching out to congregations that may be struggling to connect as seamlessly in the digital world and whose church programs may not translate over the internet. You are listening to Quick to Listen, where we go beyond hashtags and hot takes, discuss a major cultural event. I'm Morgan Lee, digital media producer here at Christianity Today. And I'm Ted Olson, editorial director at Christianity Today. It is great to be chilling with you over a podcast. Yes. <laughs> we don't get to like, see each other very much these days, <laughs> but it is nice. And it is nice now that spring has arrived in Chicago, that even though we're sheltering in place, we can we can step outside and enjoy the, the springtime. So that's, that's something anyway. And it is good human interaction. I don't think I've talked to another living person for almost 48 hours. So... That must be killing you. You are like the most extroverted person I know. (laughs) This is the diet of socializing that I get these days. Well, good. Well, I'm glad (laughs) Quick to Listen can provide at least that. And hopefully, you know, maybe a listener can feel like we are in their ears, in their head. We can feel friendly (laughs) to them. Who knows? But, you know, hi, hi friends. We can be we can be like real direct this week. Let's do it. Hi, friends listening to us. All right. Ted, tell us about our guest. Our guest is no stranger to Quick to Listen. Uh, he has been on before. Jonathan Brooks, he is senior pastor at Canon Community Church in Chicago's West Englewood neighborhood. He is the author of Church Forsaken, uh, Practicing Presence in Neglected Neighborhoods, and we're glad to have him back. Thanks, Jonathan. Welcome, welcome back, I guess, to Quick to Listen. Thanks, Ted. So glad to be on here. Thanks, Morgan, for having me. Always a gift to be with you. And Morgan, uh, I'll be glad to deal with and, and be the remedy to some of your Jones for having some live interaction with a person. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Pastor Jay. It is also great to have you on the show. I feel like you are one of those people that we live in the same city, but we're most likely to f- see each other at conferences. So it's great to be able to interact with you in this setting. It's great. Great to be here. You know that. <laughs> All right. Pastor Jay, I'm wondering, can you just talk us through the reactions that you personally have had as the city of Chicago and the state of Illinois have put into effect these coronavirus measures, especially with regards to how you pastor and are a neighbor to your community members? Well, first and foremost, I just want to say that I think this definitely is an unprecedented time for not only for the church, but I just, you know, the world in general. And so as we try to creatively come up with ways to stay connected to one another. I think this is one time where regardless of geographic location, regardless of even why you gather, 
there's undue stress and definitely the need to be creative as well as you know, be intentional about how you connect. So I'll say for me, the response initially was more of me being concerned about the health and well-being of my congregation and community more than anything. So the move to actually stop meeting together and to close down all of the other activities that kind of happened at our church for the community was a no-brainer. To me, it's like it's a connection to the great commandment of loving God and then loving your neighbor as yourself, right? So even if me personally being a healthy person without any underlying conditions right now, I'm not really afraid for myself around the virus. There were too many people who I was in relationship with, especially in a neighborhood like mine that has higher number of folks with underlying conditions already from diabetes to heart conditions, to all types of stuff that it was a no brainer that we needed to immediately go to more of an online presence. My initial reaction was absolutely, this makes sense. It's going to be some changes for us and we're going to really have to be creative about how we move forward. But it was a no brainer. I mean, we didn't hesitate. And even though some of my other counterparts have. Maybe you can give us a sense of what digital connection and your congregation and your community looks like. So that was one of the things that I was thinking about really quickly, like, is, you know, I have friends who pastor larger congregations and and they're like, oh, this is, you know, we're just going to record our worship service and show it live. We'll bring in a, a few of our worship leaders and we'll record some music and then like piece it together with different camera angles. And, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, oh, okay, right. That's not at all, not only not possible fiscally and financially for us, <laughs> but it's not even the way that we connect. Like our congregation is all about presence with one another. Every single Sunday, I say the same thing at the beginning of worship. I'm so glad that you're here because all the things that we do here, I can do at home. I can sing songs to the Lord at home. I can read scripture. I can pray, right? Like I can take communion. Like I can do all of these things in the comfort of my own home. But the one thing that keeps me coming back to this geographic location, to this address, is the fact that you're going to meet me here that we're going to be in this space together, worshiping God together, that I get to engage in what God has done for you this week and who God has been for you this week. Because I said that, I think it was a a smoother transition for my congregation, at least to recognize that it's not necessarily about that building, but it's about the connection of us together every week that makes it special. But digitally, it's been difficult because, of course, Not only do some of our members not have any access to internet technology and things not on any social media, but even if they do have access to those things, the signals are not strong enough to do certain things. So we made a decision to go with Zoom for our actual Sunday gathering, which a lot of folks are interested by. And it was important for me to use Zoom because, one, there were multiple ways to connect. If people could not connect using the internet, they could simply call in on their cell or on the landline which was extremely important so they could at least hear voices and connect. The other thing is the whole personal aspect of Zoom that everyone has an opportunity to engage. So not only do we have our service, but we spend about 15, 20 minutes at the beginning and end just letting people catch up, just having conversations, sharing what's going on in your life, what you need prayer for, what kind of resources the church can help you get, those type of things. And that has been a blessing because kind of like you, Morgan, today, a lot of folks are just like, man, this is my one time where I'm really getting the opportunity to engage. So, How has this changed some of the key church life areas apart from Sunday morning worship? 
initially that was the part that was the hardest for us because a lot of church life things that happen outside of just a Sunday morning service, of course. And for us, that's even more unique because most of the ministry we engage in is community ministry. It's not just for those who consider themselves congregants of Canaan. So on Mondays, we have a, a, a food cooperative, you know, and then we have our Lots of community meetings that happen, block club meetings, CAPS, Community Assisted Policing Strategies meetings happen at the church. Um, resident Association meetings happen at the church, right? Like the, there's our small groups that happen. There are the work with our families of the incarcerated where we pack boxes of food and travel to their home. And sit and like there's all these things that are like in flux. So what we decided to do was to create opportunities for people to connect virtually. So what we've done is we've just created open rooms and spaces where people can kind of can kind of connect affinity wise. If you are, are a part of the folks who were doing the community assisted police and strategies meeting, then we're just going to create a room in the Zoom where on Tuesday we can come back together. You can still have your gatherings, meetings, plan, share resources, do all the things you need. We've cre- used our website as a hub for that. So we have a whole page that has resources, Canaan's response to COVID-19, which included financial resourcing for people who have lost jobs, connection to actual factual information from the coronavirus website that's connected to the city of Chicago and the CDC. And so things like that. I think the hardest part has been that our food cooperative which really feeds quite a few people in the neighborhood and mostly focuses on healthy food, has had to rework itself. And so it took us about two weeks to realize or figure out how we we're going to be able to do that. With contactless, you know, people can't be in there shopping. Our church is not an official grocery store, so we can't have people shopping there as usual. So we flipped it into a distribution center and we give people specific times to come and we pack bags with some of the fresh vegetables and fruits that we grow, as well as more perish- non-perishable items, and then have them pick them up. And we just bring them bring them to the car or to the person standing outside and let them take it. Pastor Jerry, I'm just curious, have you been able to reach out to those members of your congregation that have really struggled as far as digitally adapting? Absolutely. I was literally just having this conversation with my assistant pastor last night that we have reached out to every member of the congregation every day for the last two weeks, which has- Whoa, how many people was that? So that's about 165 people a day through spreading out the list. But on top of that, we're also partnering with Jamal Cole's My Block, My Hood, My City, who has over 1,500 seniors that they're doing wellness checks in daily on. So we got 125 seniors from that list and have given everyone who wanted to volunteer five seniors to call and check in to connect back to my block, my hood, my city for resources if they need them. There has been a lot of connecting with people daily. And so what's been good has been like, there are people who are like, I don't know how to use this Zoom thing. I put it in and it didn't work. Like this past Sunday, <laughs> because Zoom has been having all the Zoom bombing going on, mm-hmm. all right. on Sundays, they, from Zoom, automatically put a, a password on every single Zoom meeting on Sunday without even letting us know. So I had to like frantically reach out to like congregants and folks who were saying they were joining in to get them this this password. Mm. <laughs> like with an hour mm. till it was time for us to get on. Oh man. <laughs> so it's been struggles like that that have been difficult, but we have been able to reach out <laughs> to everyone. And that's through every route we can think of from sending snail mail letters to emails, to calls, to social media, to Anything you can think of, man. We we doing it all. You know, carrier pigeons, whatever. <laughs> 
Are you are you feeling like things are for you as a pastor more busy because of all of this, or has the busyness just shifted with with the oh, uh, sheltering good, in place? That's a good question. I wouldn't say I feel more busy. Actually, I feel like I've had a, quite a bit of downtime. <laughs> um, <laughs> a, 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 a Sabbath of kinds. Yeah. yeah, yeah. My very first sermon during this thing was a lesson in sitting and serving, and I preached about Mary and Martha, and that Jesus is forcing us to choose the better thing here. I think what I've been forced to do. There's a young lady pastor who I'm really a, a, a fond of. Her name is Reverend Dr. Renee Jackson. And she has a quote where she says, be careful not to lead out of memory, but to lead out of imagination. And what I think this has forced us to do is to be imaginative. That's the busyness. It's how can we be creative? How can we do something we've never done before? How can we reach out to people in ways we haven't? And to me, that's exciting. So I think the fun of it all, the, the creative juices that it brings up in me as a creator, as an artist, is is what's keeping me busy. So it's keeping me up at night as I'm thinking about, oh, we could try this. This is the Holy Week. We're doing daily events. Yesterday was Motivation Monday. Today is Testimony Tuesday. Tomorrow is Worship Wednesday. <laughs> like we're doing theater Thursday where we're going to show Passion of Christ on Thursday and then Flashback Friday because this is also our 20th year anniversary at Canaan. We're going to show our very first worship service 20 years ago on Friday on Zoom. And so people are super excited for that. And then we're going to have a dance party on Saturday night with Terrence Gaffney and DJ Rock on doing Saturday Night <laughs> Live as we celebrate going into midnight the resurrection mm. of Jesus, you know? So it's like, you know, just what can we do creative, right? Because that's not how we typically do Holy Week, but it's a great way to do it this week, right? <laughs> right. Well, how's how's your uh, Easter, Easter Sunday service changing? Well, <laughs> so we're a traditional African-American church, which means that Easter is usually more wrapped around children. So we have uh-huh. speeches and people dress up and that. So that's definitely out. Nobody's planning on dressing up Sunday. Like <laughs> it's been super dressed down for our Zoom meetings. Which is great. (laughs) But we are planning on trying to do some special things, trying to put together a special. uh, We're going to try to get our worship team to do a song virtually from their living rooms. So like everybody's singing their part and then we're going to put it together in like one compilation to to have worship music that is actually us with our musicians and our singers versus like a YouTube video. We're going to do communion. And so I already had everybody go out. I'm like, get whatever you can get. Crackers, bread. You know, if you got to make Kool-Aid because you don't have juice, do what you got to do. We're going to do communion that way together on Easter. And then the other thing is where we're asking people to invite folks to come in. So our typically our attendance usually triples on Easter. So we have over 300 people. And so I'm telling them I'm expecting since we're online to see double that. They were they were like excited about that. Yeah, we've had lots of folks tune in from all over the world on, on Zoom because there are people who know me as a speaker or follow me as an author who are chiming in to some of our, our Zoom worship. So it's just been really cool. So, you know, one of the things that one of the things that I was I was curious about, you mentioned that you're pretty you're you're, you're pretty uh, typical black church in some of its traditions. And I was thinking about the, uh, you know, the African-American preaching tradition tends to be one of the more, you know, dialogical preaching styles. How has your preaching style changed without kind of visible congregation to be in dialogue with? At least well, I guess Zoom has more dialogue than than some uh, other forums, but is that has your preaching changed much? 
It has and it hasn't. So this is pretty, I didn't really know what to do with that because you're right. We are very much call and response, very dialectical, you know, like, you know, I feed off of the energy of my congregation as I preach. But something happened that was so surprising because we're also Facebook living the Zoom. So it's like, it's really interesting. Like I project the, the Zoom into the Facebook live. Anyway, <laughs> so uh, people on Facebook are watching as well. And so they don't have the opportunity to interact because you can't speak to us on Facebook Live. So what started happening was as I was preaching the very first Sunday, people began responding in the comments with, amen, preach. <laughs> That's a word, right? And, it, and it, was, it was the same effect. As I would see the comment pop up, it would encourage <laughs> me, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> and you get those emojis too, the little floating uh, smiley faces. Hands, right? Like, <laughs> It is so great. And so people started doing that on Zoom as well in the chat. So you start seeing there'll be no activity on the chat. And then all of a sudden you see boom, boom, chat just going crazy. And it's people responding to the preaching. And so I said to myself, I was like, this has the same effect, right? Like it's the same effect as getting a like on your Instagram post, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's great, and um, and so my preaching. While I thought my preaching would just be more calm, like I still got kind of ramped up and got excited. And while I I didn't have an organ behind me to help me begin to tune up and sing, I I felt the energy. And so it's interesting that connection online, while it's different, can have some of the same effects. I'm really curious, Pastor Jay, how you have navigated the conversation over tithing and giving. I will say that that has been pretty seamless for us. And it's been seamless for us because we had already kind of moved to a digital understanding of giving anyway. So giving in our services is an actual part of worship. When we gather together or every Sunday, we do what's called the soul train giving line. And we get real black right there, right? Like uh-huh. everybody stands <laughs> up, faces the center aisle, and we come down the aisle and we give whatever we have to give. And I say before we get started, every single Sunday, that this is giving time, not just giving money time, which means that every single person in this room has a gift, whether that's a handshake, a hug, a word of encouragement, a smile, whatever you have to bring, you bring it. And so since giving is a part of what we do in this season, I've just said the same thing. If you can't give financially right now because you just lost your job or you're struggling, how are you giving in your community? Who are you calling? How are you being a resource? Who are you giving an encouraging word to? Because that was already the DNA of giving for us, it hasn't affected us at all. So those who can give financially are giving financially through PayPal, which is how we've been doing it in church anyway. So we literally have a place where people use debit cards in church and do through our website. People have been mailing in their tithes and offerings to the church. And since I live right next door to the building, we've still been able to gather those. And people, even though we've had some folks lose jobs or get laid off, for some reason, God has been gracious like, and, and been faithful. Like Our giving is right where it was last year. We are in the same, we are exactly parallel to giving um, this time last year as where we are now. So I just believe that's because giving in our church is a part of worship. It's not something ancillary and extra. And so even in this time, people feel like this is a part of my worship. This is a part of engaging at Canaan. Wow, that's remarkable. That's remarkable. Have you had conversations with other churches, maybe on the south side of Chicago or in your neighborhood that have maybe had more struggles with regards to that? Yeah, this is the question I was actually dreading because it's actually been really interesting, the response. So our church was one of the first African-American churches on the south side in the roles that I wrote in that decided we were going to close. 
right? As soon as they started saying gatherings of more than 50, I mean, we're talking four weeks ago, I was like, ah, we're done. And I got so many naysayers and, and frustrated emails and calls from, from my pastor friends because they wanted to know why I thought that was plausible and why I thought that was the right move. And you want to have someone tell you when you can gather and when you can't. And, and I was going, well, I think you're misunderstanding what's going on. I don't consider this persecution where someone's trying to tell me that I cannot worship. I consider this precaution where I'm being advised by health professionals that this could be more detrimental to our society if we gather in these ways. And so we need to be creative. However, the reason why I as time went on, I recognized that the issue was not necessarily that I was meeting. It was that, that I was able to be creative and they were struggling with it. So I have had friends who are still gathering on Sundays, even as of yesterday, as of last Sunday, which totally bewilders me. And with most with with older members, it's just it's just it's, it's bewildering. But it's because of the giving. It's because if they don't physically have church, they won't get any money and their budget is not so that they can miss a Sunday. Period. And so it's such a conundrum, it's such a quandary. And I try to encourage them to be creative, think outside of the box, trying to help them set up some online stuff, trying to help them figure out ways to work with their seniors around mailing, have somebody pick it up from them, those types of things. But yeah, I've I've seen quite a few folks struggle, struggle to to meet, to gather. Some folks just stop having church, period, because they don't have any creativity. They don't have anybody around them that can help them kind of navigate this new way of being. And I think that's just true in poorer communities, period, right? Like, you know, even, you know, to be honest with you, this is a white collar pandemic, right? It's not a blue collar pandemic, right? The folks who serve us all and make things run still have to go to work, which is majority of my congregation. And so it's trying to help them be creative around being safe and smart and all those things. So I think all of that is one big ball of things that we're trying to struggle, we're kind of struggling with. Yeah, how how does that how is that shaping your your ministry where you have you have a, a large percentage of a congregation or a majority of a congregation that is still working during this you know quote unquote shutdown time you know kids kids are you know kids are home from school all those kinds of issues how does that affect uh, pastoral ministry in, in that context? Once again, it's about creativity, right? We initially thought that we might be able to keep our church open as a a place for people to bring children, and that got shut down by the city. And so it was an option, right? And so we had to just be creative. And so we started thinking through how do we support people who may have to make the decision to leave their child at home? Is there ways that we can do wellness checks? Can we check in? So we we called, one of the reasons we call people every day is because a lot of times we're checking in with young children. We're checking in with folks who are homeschooling. We've done some homeschooling collectives. So where three or four people are all like one parent is working with three or four kids in four different places. We have stuff like Zoom and, and Google Hangouts and stuff like that. We've also, every morning at 6 a.m., we have a prayer call where people let us know who has to go to work, where they work, and how long they're going to work. We pray for them. We give them the latest information from the CDC and other stuff in the morning. Every morning at 6 a.m., Monday through Friday, we do that as a way of gathering together and a way of making sure that new information that's been disseminated is everybody knows it. Because a lot of times people work nights and they might miss the evening news or things of that nature. So that's been really, really helpful, that 6 a.m. call, because there are people who learned that the of the extension of time to April 30th on that call. There were people who learned like 
the advice to wear a mask when you're out in public so you don't infect others on that call. I just was on a call with the mayor right before this and got some more information that I'm going to be sharing with congregation and community around the rise in the number of African-Americans who are dying from COVID-19. So, yeah, just got to, like I said, you got to be creative, right? <laughs> that's all I can think. Is the, you know, the, you know, obviously that's that's one of the big stories right now is the massive disproportionate deaths in Chicago, especially among black residents. How, you know, at, this, at the same time, you know, Chicago has had these periods of, you know, high, high fear, high anxiety where the church has had to speak into that. I'm wondering, how are you pastoring or I mean, how does how does your kind of pastoral care shift with fear of a disease versus fear of violence or fear of other kind of dangers? So I'll say I think context matters to that question for us. And our geographical context, being on the south side of Chicago, where trauma, fear, worry are almost everyday realities. This pandemic is more panicking for people who don't live under these type of circumstances often. I've heard people say, well, I think the numbers are so high in the African-American community, not just because people have underlying conditions and all that, but because people don't take it serious. And what I would say to them is it's not necessarily that people aren't taking it serious. And this is this is what has changed the way I do pastoral care is that people understand the reality of living under fear of not making it home every day already. And so my pastoral care has changed around now. This is not just about caring for yourself. It's about making a decision that will also help you to save the lives of others. And that was the biggest turn in my kind of like pastoral care. It has been, I want you to take care of yourself, but in taking care of yourself, recognize that you're loving your neighbor as well. And so this has been a tangible way of caring for people's fears around like, you know, one of the things we talked about on the mayoral call today is I have a lot of people who live in high density situations, like they live in a building with 40 other people. Right. And then in their household alone, there might be three generations of folks living there, grandmother, mother and children. Right. And so how do we stop a pandemic when we live in high density situations? You know, the pastoral care has gone from just counseling you to not be afraid. God is with us. There's nothing too hard for God. Those type of that type of language to also to recognize that when you care when you're caring for yourself in the sense of washing your hands, in the sense of covering your, 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 your coughs and things of that nature, of wiping down things, that you're also caring for your grandmother, right? Uh, you're also caring for the other senior members or people with underlying conditions in our community and congregation. I think the other thing that has been really powerful about pastoral care in this time is allowing people to actually be okay with being afraid. I don't think in our community it's actually been okay to be afraid. You might live under trauma and live under fear, but you didn't say that. Now I'm counseling people to say, this is hard. This is scary, right? And it's okay for that. What are you feeling? It's allowing people to open up and be honest about their real fears and concerns. And that way we can give them to God. But a lot of times we try to hide them. What I loved most of all about Israel and why I became a Zionist was because Zionism was a rejection of victimhood. A few weeks ago on CT's The Bulletin, we launched Promised Land, a new podcast about Israel and Palestine in a post-October 7th world. 6.30 a.m., we're, we're in, in, in our synagogue praying, and sirens go off, and they're, and they're going on. Okay, okay. 
Based on interviews and conversations captured on the ground in Israel last November, it's an exploration of the spiritual, political, and historical roots of the conflict. When there's a weak Israel, every Jew in the world is weak. And why should uh, a Russian Jew who has nothing to do with this land come, come here? Why? I mean, if you want, you can give them Texas. You love them so much. I am alive because I wasn't, I, I didn't come home. But there, all my friends that were here were murdered. Here, here, over there. This week, Promised Land moves to its own feed. You'll find links in the show notes. So if you haven't heard it yet, you can go catch up and catch the new episodes as they come all in one place. You know, we were talking a couple minutes ago about just some of the things that can happen when there's not enough creativity. I guess that could be one way to look at it with regards to how to do church in this environment, specifically when there are fears around giving. Are there other ways that you think that other churches in Chicago could potentially serve or support some of these congregations that are feeling just like they have to continue meeting even, you know, against some of these public health warnings or they will close or that they just don't have any other way of getting in contact, you know, with this, with their community? Absolutely. I have been part of working with this new churchrelief.org is doing this Churches Helping Churches initiative that's kind of been sponsored through a couple of people I know through the Ann campaign, the Jew 3 project and some others. And so what they're trying to do is larger churches that have the resources, that have space, that have all this digital, like being able to share those resources, not just financial, but financial as well, right? Like actually like giving relief to these congregations and saying, what is your monthly budget? What does it take for you to run? And let's make sure that you can run for the next six months, because that would be a drop in the bucket for our budget, for what we spend on smoke machines and cameras. Right. And then there's also like the, the idea of maybe they want to still gather and they don't have the technology. But how do we share our technology? Right. How do we how do we train pastors and, and show them like this? This is one of the things I've been trying to do. If I've been taking some of the older pastors, I know I've been emailing them and saying, hey, click this link. I'm going to show you how to use Zoom. This might be a good one for you and your congregation because your older members can just call on the phone. So sharing resources, financial, technological ideas, you know. I think this is the the way I'm waiting for, and I'm, I might just have to initiate it, but I thought I was going to see by now, at least somebody, at least for Easter saying, these five, six, seven churches are all gathering for Easter. Yeah, I still haven't seen it. I'm like, how are we still so individualized in a moment where everybody needs help? <laughs> I'm like, I, I'm like, I guess I shouldn't sit back and wait for it, right? Like, I, I guess I need to initiate the fact that like, I feel like all of us could be worshiping together, right? And And let's just share our resources that way. I think that we just, once again, imagination has to be the way we move forward. But I can give you the the, the website for that, that thing I was talking about with the Churches Helping Churches is churchrelief.org, www.churchrelief.org. And you can apply if you're uh, in a low-income urban area to partner with a church that will help you financially and resource-wise. And I think it actually opened up yesterday, the application. So if you are one of those kind of churches, churchrelief.org. We can put a link to that in our show notes for people that are interested or who want to share it with other people. When you were talking about collaboration right there, Pastor Jay, I also was thinking about the fact that many of the 
church leaders and pastors of storefront communities are often bivocational too, right? And so there's an added stress of, for many of them, they may have to work and then try to reimagine church outside of when, you know, when they're off the clock, which as we know, it seems like time is really at a premium for a lot of people right now. That's actually a great point. I mean, one of the good things that I've decided to do as pastor of Canaan is to always remain bivocational. And it's so that I could always understand what my congregation and community are experiencing. And I never get disconnected from that. So I get it, right? Like, because I work in more of the education field, I've been able to move my stuff to online and still continue. But I do know other pastors who not only some who have to work, but I know some who've been laid off. And because of that, now the stress is how do I take care of my family, let alone be, you know, imaginative about what I'm doing on Sundays. And so that's when, you know, sharing resources becomes pivotal. That's when us being the body of Christ and saying, hey, we already doing a Zoom service on Sundays. Here's the link. Have your folk join in and we can just split the time sharing announcements, preaching, whatever you want to do. Let's just do this together. You know, like to me, it's a no brainer. You're right, Morgan. It does hit them. And I think the other thing that hits them is, is that many of them are week to week as far as like renting out their storefront space. And it is about like we use it and then we pay for it. Right. And so without use, they're, they're, they're unable to pay for it. Right. So it's it can be difficult. And those spaces in communities were meant to be commercial spaces. So if those spaces are now not bringing any income in, it just hurts the community even more. It's like another store that's been shut down in your neighborhood. Yeah, it, 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 it definitely does. I'm, I'm curious about how, you know, it, I know you, you, you have this book, Church Forsaken, Practicing Presence in Neglected Neighborhoods. A lot of what you've been talking about in terms of the opportunity for partnership and a lot of the opportunity for churches to, to work together is something that's echoed in that book. I'm curious about how, if you could tell us a little bit about the book and just how you think that this idea of presence in a time when we can't necessarily be super physically present with each other. How can we, how we can practice presence with each other uh, across uh, kind of virtual space and physical, physical space? What's the imagination point in reimagining physical presence? Talking about the book, what I love about this moment that we're in now with all of the difficulties that it is, is that it shows the need for long-term presence, right? Because it's the communities that have been connected long-term that know what they need to do in these moments. When you have superficial and, and shallow relationships, it becomes difficult to navigate times when you have to be physically distant. And so I think what I'm trying to say in the book, the thesis would just simply be that our long-term presence in a neighborhood allows for people to trust us in a way that they can take leadership over the things that need to be transformed in our own communities. That, for me, has been some of the weight off of my shoulder as a pastor. I'm not trying to figure all of this out. I'm actually just in relationship with my neighborhood and with my church for us to already just rethink the things that we came up with together. So the Food Cooperative is a perfect example, right? Like we have had to rethink. We already have all these fruits and vegetables that we're growing and that we get donated and all these things that people come purchase rather than just doing it for the 25 co-op members. How about we open it up and distribute it to folks in a way that is equitable? And everybody that was a part of the co-op was like, absolutely. So I didn't make a decision. We made a decision that would benefit our community. And so now we're a food distribution site based off of people who typically pay weekly to shop at the church, sacrificing and saying, let's share what we typically would have. Presence now is not as much about 
how do we gather together in a space? It's about how does our space begin to narrate what it means for us to gather together? And so when I say that, what I'm saying is, is that our geographic location is not about how do we sit in a room together. It's about what is the impact on the place where we live and how are we creative about responding to those specific needs. So presence doesn't change. Actually, we dig our heels even more into being present in our place with the people there and thinking creatively about how we respond to needs together, not as like a social service prescribing ways for people to to, to react or, or behave. But we sit down and we listen and we come up with creative ways together. What I try to point out in the book is that it takes presence and it takes practice. It's not just, let's just be together. Let's be together and let's work together. Let's do things together. And so now I think in this time of social distancing, what we're recognizing is people are figuring out how we can be together and how we can work together, even if we're not in the same vicinity. And I think that that's beautiful because the world that we live in is one where presence is global now, right? Like I can pick up my phone and be with someone in China in one click of a button. I think that church now has the opportunity to catch up to where society has been because we've been lagging behind for so long. And this pandemic has given us an opportunity to fast forward and catch up with where culture has been heading, which is to be present with one another virtually, but still practice what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. Pastor Jay, as we conclude this conversation, I was just wondering if you could tell us some specific and concrete needs that you, your church and your neighborhood have right now that our listeners can be praying for? Absolutely. Absolutely. At the top of that list is the fact that there were some pretty difficult statistics that came out this week about Chicago as far as the racial demographics around who has the virus. And if you could be praying for our community on the south side of Chicago, there are over 5,000 confirmed cases in the Chicago area, but about 118 deaths and 52% of the cases are African-American, 81 of the deaths are African-American, and that's 10 times higher than the national average. So it's, it's, it's crazy. So if you could be praying for the city's response with a new racial equity rapid response team, that we would get not only information, but better testing and healthcare to the most vulnerable places in our city and people. Also, if you could be praying for those who have been laid off and who are in need of financial assistance, our church has set up a financial equity plan where we are giving to our congregants based on need. Of course, we're not a huge church. And so if there are other ways and people want to connect or donate to that, that would be amazing. But you could also just be praying that that people are able to sustain financially during this time. And then I think the last one would just be pray that people would mentally, physically, spiritually be able to endure during this time of great fear and indecisiveness. And we're, we're just in an unprecedented time. And so you're seeing how it's it's impacting people in holistic ways. So be praying for one another, not just spiritually, but mentally, physically, financially, in every way, as this thing has had a total impact on neighborhoods like mine. Thank you so much for sharing all of that with us. People who have feedback, send it to us. We're at podcast at christianitytoday.com. We are also at CT Podcast on Twitter. You can reach out to us there. All right, now is the time of the show. We call Precious Moments. Everyone gets to share something that has brought them joy. 
Pastor Jay, do you want to go first? Sure. We are partnering with an organization called My Block, My Hood, My City, where we're reaching out to seniors in the city. And uh, just yesterday, one of my congregants called and said, hey, I I uh, met a lady who was down to eating once a day because she wasn't out able to leave and go get groceries and she doesn't have any family here. And the response time for my block, my hood, my city is weeks now to get to people. Is there anything we can do? So I was able to put a box together from the church and take it to her. She called my congregant back because she didn't know who I was. I was just the guy who dropped the box off. And my congregant texted me and just said, I am overjoyed right now with tears in my eyes. She was so appreciative. And then she said, I'm so thankful for your teaching. You make the Bible come alive. This is what community looks like. And that brought me so much joy yesterday because even with us not meeting physically, we're still being able to be a church where love makes a difference. Great anecdote. If people are interested in connecting with me personally, you can connect with me at Pastor J dot com p a s t a h j so think like pasta that you eat spaghetti with h j you can also follow me on social media at that same handle pastor j p a s t a h j if you're interested in supporting any of the work we're doing in Canaan you can check us out at canaancommunitychurch.org and on there there are lots of links for donating giving and our whole response plan can be read there so if there are specific ways you want to respond to the COVID nineteen pandemic on the south side of Chicago. We will take whatever you give. God bless you all. Ted? It's funny how much each week they start to blur together. You know, like my precious moment, they, they, they start to repeat. But, you know, that's that's the, the, the mode we're in right now. My precious moment really is I'm trying to get in two or three walks a day. And it is making a huge difference. It just makes a difference to be able to get out. And like I said, spring is, has arrived in Chicago. So there are actually birds in the trees right now. There are actually flowers popping in people's yards. You know, this Sunday, we did a nice family walk in one of the marshes nearby. Uh, I think if this were happening in the middle of December, I would feel pretty differently than I do right now when I'm just able to, at lunchtime, go out and do a 10-minute walk. That's it. And the precious moment is three times a day saying, hello, son. The other precious moment that's a repeat is, you know, my family's playing a lot of board games. So the new board game this week was a game called Targi. It's a two-player worker placement game that was really fun. I, I, it was much more fun because a tiny little box, much more fun than I expected. Just a little worker placement game set in North Africa where you're trading resources for more resources, but it worked out. So that was my precious moment. I'm at Ted Olson. Uh, T-E-D-O-L-S-E-N. Right to quote you. Uh, on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I say it too often. Not a bad thing to say. All right. I think my precious moment will also be a variation of yours too. I went to a park called Columbus Park. Jonathan, have you been to Columbus Park in Austin? I have. I have. Beautiful place. So beautiful. I went to Columbus Park on Sunday and was there for four hours, basically basking in the sunshine. and. I just had such a great time. I When I travel, I often go to parks and just spend a lot of time in them, but I don't necessarily do it in places that I live in. So I said afterwards that I felt like I tricked myself into thinking that I was on vacation because I just had so much leisure time there. And I was grateful that it was so sunny, which I have to be honest, it, I feel completely differently about the day depending on whether it's sunny or not. That day I also made chocolate chip cookies, which I haven't baked in a long time. 
And even though I mixed up the baking soda and baking powder, they still turned out okay. (laughs) I know. I I almost threw away the batter because I was so concerned. But apparently, if you use baking powder instead of baking soda, it's a much more forgivable sin than reverse. Than the reverse problem. There you go. Yes. Well, I'm glad that turned out well. I did the correct thing. We are blitzing through. That's my daughter's joy. So we have had cake and cookies and (laughs) cornbread. And it's it's been awesome. You know, it's like she finishes this classwork and then the house smells nice and bakey all all the rest of the day. So, yes, you know, yay for the yay for the cookie season. Yes, it is definitely baking season. What's your social media there, Morgan? It is M-E-P-A-Y-N-L. Find me on Twitter there. All right, everyone, that is it for us this week. Happy Easter. Thank you for listening to Quick to Listen. Again, this podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to wish us Happy Easter, obviously you can do that by going to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. You can also do that by becoming a subscriber to Christianity Today. You can do that by going to orderct.com slash podcast. We have some really, I would say, miraculously appropriate for the season that we're in content in this April issue. And so I highly recommend that you become a subscriber so that you're able to read it as well. The podcast is produced by myself and Matt Lindor. The music is by Sweeps and the transcript is by Funmi Ashola. Thank you everyone and happy Easter and we'll see you next week. Bye. This episode was brought to you in part by the Better Samaritan Podcast where Jamie Ayton and Kent Annan discuss everything from simple acts of kindness to complex humanitarian challenges with their guests. Want to learn how to faithfully do good better? Find insights at The Better Samaritan.